Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. It's really good to be with you. Uh, it really does feel like being at home amongst friends and family. I'd like to thank Steph for bringing that word there and the word that was brought to me upstairs and the word that was brought to me by Andrew. All I know is I've got to preach the best sermon I've ever preached <laughs> to live up to the prophetic words that have already come. So uh, your constant prayers would be greatly appreciated. So... Um, David made reference back to when I was part of the eldership here before City Church Coventry was planted. But as I was looking across this morning and I saw young Ted Lyon down here, it reminded me of the first time I went to preach at Rock of Life, Narborough, which must, well, Will can tell me how old it was because you were about Ted's age then, Will. how, How long ago would that have been? About 25 years ago, probably. Maybe you were just a little, a little older. And I remember, uh, I remember going across there a couple of times. And I remember that Benj and, and, and Will would spend worship in this twin buggy in the front row. <laughs> Worshipping alongside Deborah. And uh, yeah, it was, they were a great double act. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's, how, uh, that's how long my... My memories on uh, association with the work that God is still doing here, and we're all growing out of the same root, aren't we? It's wonderful. Uh, With the same seed, which is Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom that's being preached in all the earth, being preached in all the earth so that Christ might return. And you guys, I just want to say you are doing a wonderful job of preaching and declaring the gospel of the kingdom in your communities. I don't know what you understand by what Jesus says in Matthew 24 about this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth and then the end will come. It's after a long passage of a whole load of things that he says are not a sign of his his imminent return, but are just a sign of the times that we live in. But he says, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth and then the end will come. And different people have had different ideas down through history as to what that means. And at the beginning of the 20th century with the Pentecostal revival, people believed that as long as they could set foot in every nation of the world and somehow proclaim the gospel, then that would be fulfilling the words of Jesus. And people left, particularly from Azusa Street in Los Angeles, they went down to the docks, they got onto boats wherever they were going, and they got to different parts of the world, and they stood there and they preached. Many of them believed if they stood and spoke in tongues, then the locals would understand, just like on the day of Pentecost. It occasionally happened, it often, much more often didn't happen. But they thought, well, as long as, as long as the gospel has been preached in every nation, then, then we fulfilled the, the word of Jesus. And then as technology developed through the 20th century, bigger and bigger radio masts were put around the world that could broadcast across to many nations. And they said, if we can proclaim the gospel this way, then we'll be fulfilling the commission of Jesus. Now, all of those things were good, but I think they fall short of Jesus' intention of what it means for the gospel of the kingdom to be preached. Because the gospel of the kingdom isn't just words. You know, it's, just, it's like Jesus himself. It's the word made flesh. It's, it's the manifestation of, of kingdom communities in every community of the earth. And I just want to encourage you that you guys are doing a fantastic job in, in the part of the world where God has planted you and placed you of being a proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. And every one of us is essential in that ministry. Every one of us is essential in fulfilling what it is that Jesus is looking for in the earth, not just in our time, but in the generation that will be the final generation. Do I think this could be the final generation? Yes, I do. Why? Because I I think there's got to be a generation one day, and I know that, that we have the same Holy Spirit that any future generation will have. God loves us just the same. The gospel's just the same. There is no reason that we can't be the people that see Jesus return. He's going to return for a church that's a living, breathing representation of Jesus himself in every community, in every nation of the earth. And you are at the cutting edge of that. Isn't that wonderful? 
Isn't that amazing? None of this was what I was going to talk about this morning. But you know, sometimes you, you come amongst God's people and, and, and the Holy Spirit just begins to draw things out of you. I think there are some dreams here this morning that have, have receded. <laughs> um, I think there's some of you here this morning that, that you've, you've dreamt big in the past and now it's, it's not that you don't believe it anymore, but it's kind of, it's in the background. Other things have, have kind of come in and taken prominence and dominance and Andrew prophesied about shaking this morning. You know why God shakes? He shakes so that the shakeable things fall away and the unshakable things remain. I just believe that even in our worship this morning, there's some shakeable things that have begun to fall. If you feel them moving in you, if, if when God shakes, if when the kingdom comes by shaking, Hebrews 12 tells us that the kingdom comes as God shakes things. If you feel that you're being shaken, <coughs> shaken this morning, take heart, be encouraged. It's only the shakeable temporal things of this age that he is shaking out of you. Nothing eternal is going to be lost. And so don't try and hold on to the things that God is shaking away. Uh, because ultimately they're not going to do any benefit for you or for the purposes of God. And that can be quite uncomfortable, can't it? <laughs> Anyone ever been shaken by God and it's been uncomfortable? Yeah, it's kind of how it goes, isn't it? That's... <laughs> um, but I just, feel, I just feel there's a season for some of you of, of restored dreams. Elders, I believe you're going to have people coming to speak to you in the coming weeks of saying, God has stirred me again in this. I believe this is the time. I believe that this is what God is saying to me right now. Wonderful. What a good God. What a good God. Uh, will you open your Bibles to uh, the book of Ephesians? And There's a number of the scriptures a number of the books of the Bible that I find it very difficult to only read a passage of. I'm, I'm learning more and more to, to not preach from a, a selection of verses, <laughs> but to open the scriptures. And um, Ephesians isn't quite as bad as Hebrews. Hebrews kind of like you need all 13 chapters to get the context of any one bit, I find. But, um, <laughs> but Ephesians is kind of like that. And, and, and many of you will be familiar with uh, Watchman Nee's book on the book of Ephesians, which he calls Sit, Walk, Stand, and, and it talks about three positions, and the first three chapters is, uh, is it three or four? I can't remember how he divides it up, but where we, that we're seated with Christ, and then how we walk the Christian life, and then how we stand in spiritual battle. And uh, certainly the first three chapters are a wonderful expression of what God intends to do through the church of Jesus Christ. And um, I am going to read the whole of chapter two, and very wisely I've brought my reading glasses out with me. I'm now, I'm now in this position in life where I have to keep switching between glasses. Some people say bifocals to me. No, yeah, thanks Chris, I received that, not bifocals. Bifocals are not the way to go, I believe that. Sorry? By faith. <laughs> yeah, I find... <laughs> I, I really want to make sure I get the words right. That's the... <laughs> Um, but we're just going to read, um, because we're going to read the whole of chapter 2, and we're just going to read just a couple of verses at the end of chapter 1, because <coughs> chapter 1 and chapter 3 are these wonderful expressions of how the, the victory of Christ and the work that Christ has achieved on the cross and the work and the consequences of that that are now unfolding down through history, how they're related to you and me as the church of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, we get this wonderful expression, and I think we're calling the title this morning, Extreme Salvation, of how extreme the salvation that we have received actually is. And God, I believe that we will never understand or embrace the fullness of God's eternal purpose until we have realized the extremity of the work that he's done in us. And uh, we know that God's ultimate intention, don't we, is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. Colossians 1.27 says, says to us that, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And, and lots of people are excited or lots of people are in wonder at the work that God wants to do to fill the whole earth with his glory. But we're not going to be part of the realization of that until we appreciate that his, his first desire, the first place he's done, is he wants to fill our lives with his glory because God is not doing anything on the earth that bypasses the church. We're not going to get as far as this, but Ephesians 3.10 says that, that, that God's purpose is now through the church. You see, in the present age in which we live, in the time between uh, Jesus' um, incarnation and his appearing, 
uh, and his second coming, his return, his purposes are through the church. He is not working outside of the church within the earth. And that's not to in any way deny the sovereignty of God. And that's not in any way to deny that God intervenes and he reveals and angelic visitation and all that stuff happens. But his purpose is through the church. We are not plan B because he has no plan B. Um, And when you realize what the Bible calls his plan, you'll realize why that is. Because the plan of God is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ made flesh, Jesus Christ made known, Jesus Christ revealed, Jesus Christ made manifest. And all that he was intending to do and did do through Christ in his earthly ministry, he continues through the church. I don't know whether any of you thought that you were turning up this morning just out of habit, which to be honest is not a bad thing. It's much better than the habit that some people have of not turning up. Or whether someone invited you or someone persuaded you or whether you're a family member of some of the babies that were being dedicated this morning or you just happen to be in town and visiting or whether you're like Archie over here who every time I see him is somewhere else around the world. (laughs) Sent me a hi from Canada and I was like, I didn't know you were in Canada. (laughs) Closer closer to home now, that's good. Um, I don't know why you think you're here but but I, I believe that the Holy Spirit thinks you're here because you're part of the most amazing, awesome plan and purpose that God has ever unleashed on creation. There is nothing greater happening in the world. There is nothing more significant happening in the world today than than the people of God coming together in the presence of God to see Jesus more clearly, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit more deeply, and to be motivated more strongly by the love and compassion of God to go into this world and to fulfill the commission that he's given us. It's the greatest purpose that is at work in the world today. And you are an intimate and essential part of that purpose. Wow. I feel honored to be amongst such people. Ephesians finishes, Ephesians 1 finishes talking about the work that God did through Christ on the cross. And it says in verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The body of Christ, the church, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's our destiny, to fully represent, to fully be an expression of God in the earth. I must admit, my mind cannot really wrap itself around that. I just, know, I, just, I just comfort myself in this. It's bigger than I thought. It's like the guy that's given the measuring stick to go and measure the temple. And what's the conclusion? I don't know what all the numbers mean, but the conclusion is this. It's bigger than you thought. And whenever we come and we dig in the scriptures and we look at God's eternal purpose, we realize it's bigger than we thought. It's bigger than we thought. But chapter 2, so this morning I really want to talk to us, and I, I'm more than talk to us, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into a fresh realization and a, and a fresh conception of the wonderful work that he has already achieved in us. You know, when the Apostle Paul prays, I, th- I think it's in chapter 3 of Ephesians, which we're not going to, but I keep quoting from it, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, he doesn't pray that God will do a bigger work. He doesn't pray, um, he doesn't pray that they'll become better people. Um, he doesn't pray that God will conspire to change all the circumstances so their life works much better. No, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He says, that the thing is that God has already done it all. Christ has already done it all. The, 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 the thing that's, that's playing catch up is our conception, is our understanding, and our lived experience of what God has already achieved for us in Christ. And that's what he wants us to do. And that's what this word, and that's when you read the Apostle Paul, and particularly when you read the book of Ephesians, that's what you're getting. You're getting this this revelation, this unveiling, this this turning the light on. John says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the true light who illuminates every man. When he came into the world, there was an ability for every person, every human being, to see reality in a different way. And the light of God has shone in our hearts. And he wants to shine it brighter and brighter. And he wants, he wants his, his word 
to illuminate in your life, to realize who he is and who we are. And that's, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, we're going to read um, Ephesians 2. And I think there's a contender in Ephesians 2 for the most negative scripture in the whole Bible. Okay? And I want you to see the ne- most negative verse. I want you to see uh, if you can spot what I think might be the most negative verse in the whole of the Bible. So Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated with us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which was made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made, both, uh, uh, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God through, uh, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you, uh, did you spot which verse or which, uh, did, you have a, did you have a guess at which verse I'm suggesting as a contestant for being the most negative verse in the Scriptures? Verse 12, yes, absolutely. Five negative statements standing against you. But praise God, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, every one of them has been rectified. Every one of them has been put right. Every one of them has been fixed by the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. And for even verse 12 says this. It starts with a positive, if we, if we can hear it. It says this. Remember you were at that time. You were at that time. So the first thing we need to know is that we are not at this time what we were at that time. You are no longer who you used to be. And, and again, if we're going to be a supernatural church, yeah, you've been talking about being a supernatural church because actually it's the only church Jesus has. <laughs> I find that the biggest um, obstacle to the people of God living a supernatural lifestyle is that they don't recognize what God has already done for them. The Christian life is not about struggling to attain to something. It's about growing in our realization and appreciation and stepping out in faith to experience what God has already done for us in Christ. Um, If you've ever been tempted to try hard, give up. Because trying hard will never get you there. He, he, you know, Paul even says that. He says, you know, that, that, you know even the repentance, that wasn't yours. <laughs> that was a gift from God. We are the most powerful people 
that this world has ever known. But it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Back in the beginning of time, we have some insight as to how Adam's work was to be done by what we read in Genesis 3 about how it's changed. Genesis 2, he was given the responsibility to cultivate and to keep, to enhance creation, to draw out the most perfect and uh, mature form of creation. That's cultivation. And in chapter 3, it says you're going to work now and the ground is going to work against you and it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. You think if it wasn't by the sweat of his brow before chapter 3, what was it by? I believe it was by the Holy Spirit. Adam had an ability in the, in the same way that God had an ability to speak and for the Holy Spirit to act. That's what we read in Genesis 1. God doesn't even begin to speak into creation until we're told that the Spirit is brooding, the Spirit is expectant, the Spirit is in a position to activate the Word of God. And there is nothing that tells me that's not the same mechanism that's happening in chapter 2. When Adam begins his uh, rule on the earth by naming all the animals. And it says, whatever he said they were, they were. Why? Because I believe it wasn't by might, it wasn't with a big stick, it wasn't by power, but it was by the Spirit of God. And you and I have exactly that, that, that dynamic has been restored to us in Jesus Christ. That when we speak, the Holy Spirit acts. Provided, of course, that we speak the Word of God, to the glory of God, in submission to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And when that happens, the same power that brought about creation, the same power that brought about recreation in Jesus Christ, Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, does he? Does the spirit that raised Jesus, yes. Wow, he will bring life he will bring, what kind of life, what quality of life will he bring? Resurrection life. That's the power that we live and move and operate in. When our lives are lived in submission to Jesus Christ, pursuing the purpose of God, bringing glory to the Father. The scripture tells us, remember, remember, verse 12, remember you were at that time. So we've been given an instruction to go back and remember. And it's an instruction to remember, not an instruction to realize where you're at right now. So that's the, that's the first thing we want to say. We're looking back at how we were, but the scripture tells us to do that. Why? So that we can appreciate where we've come to. So five things. Let's consider them first of all, and let's look at the solution that Christ has brought into our experience. So first of all, you were separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. And you know what his solution is? Because you know God always gives back more than we lost. God's solution, God's positive is always more than the negative. It says this in chapter, in, in 2 verse 15. Um, he abolished the law con, um, of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself. Create in himself. So the opposite of separate is not to be close. The opposite of separate is to be created anew in him. Isn't that wonderful? You have been created anew in Christ. I, I don't really understand all of that means, but there's some things that I can kind of gather from that. I am created anew in Christ. So the only place I find any of my present reality as a new creation is in Jesus Christ. And if I've been created in him, and what's created in him is somehow entirely different from what's outside of him, I can never be separated from him again. Paul says that somewhere else, doesn't he? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, effectively. 
I cannot be detached, I cannot be removed, I cannot be broken off and taken away from Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in him. And that's my reality and that's your reality. And you know, there's an old creation that we kind of carry around with us. And that's fine because bits of it are, are destined to be with us until, until resurrection day. That's not a problem. That's how God intends it to be. But that is not the, what defines who you are. In my natural life, my natural man, who I was born to be by the flesh does not define who I am because I am a new creation in Christ. And it's not just that things have been patched up, it's that something entirely new has been started. And when the old life comes knocking on the door and says, yeah, but this, but this, but this, I can quote this, but remember, you at that time were. And I can speak to my old life and I can say, that's what I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore. You see, you've got to remember the right way. Yeah? Anyone here? I'll close my eyes. Anyone here? I'm not going to look. Anyone here ever sinned? Okay, you put your hands down now. I'll open my eyes. So you can remember that you've sinned. You can remember sin. And sometimes a false memory or a wrong way of remembering will come up and say, yeah, but you know, you did this. And you did that. But the scripture says, remember, at that time you were. You can say, that's not who I am. Even, even if you sinned since you became a Christian. That's not acting according to your true nature. And you know, when we confess our sin, he is faithful, he forgives us, he purifies us. And we return to that state of being exactly who he intends us to be in Christ. And when the memory comes along, you say, that's not what I remember. That's not how I remember it. Sometimes my wife and I have minor disagreements. I don't know whether that happens in any. Many less now since Rich and Sarah came and did some excellent teaching on marriage with us a little while ago. Uh, But sometimes, you you know, and and you'll be talking about something and you go, well, that's not how I remember it. And you you each have a different, you know, recollection of, of what the situation was. And sometimes when memories come or when things come that say, you know, this is how you are, you go, that's not how I remember it. It might have happened, but it's not how I remember it. How I remember it is this. I'm a new creation in Christ. That's what I remember. I was at that time, but now I'm someone entirely different. What about the next thing? It says you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth is a strange word because all we think about it is commonwealth games are on at the moment, don't we? We think about a a group of, of countries that... The one thing they have in common is that at one time we invaded them, which, um, so it kind of has a, but a commonwealth is a society in which we all share, that, that, that everything that is good we hold in common, there is a common wealth, and there was a time when we were aliens from that. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to be at all political. I don't know what's going to happen once we uh, get Brexit. And you have to pass through the uh, passport channels. Because at the moment, when you go in and out of Europe, you have one channel for EU citizens, plus the kind of couple of other places that get in on the club somehow. Um, and then you have another one for non-EU citizens. Okay? And that's, you know, non, it's a, it's, a negative, it's a negative phrase, but it's not too pejorative. It's not too offensive, is it? If you go into the United States of America... You have U.S. citizens, and the only alternative is aliens. (laughs) I always expect to see Will Smith in a black suit. Um, But we were aliens. We did not belong. Yeah, an alien is someone who is present but doesn't belong. And in, in the Old Testament times in Israel, there were those that could be among the nation of Israel, but it was very clear they did not belong. And you know what God says to you now? You belong. You are members. Where is this one? In verse 19, you are members of God's household. You are members. You are an integral part. And particularly when you understand that members of God's household, we're going to end with this image at the end of chapter 2, means that you are building blocks in the house. It doesn't just mean that you snuck in somehow. 
Ever been to a party that you weren't really invited to? I'm sure, I'm sure we don't have any gate crashes here. But, you know, you ever, ever find yourself in a, in a situation you think, I don't really belong here, but, you know, I'm going to make the most of it if I can. It's not like that in the church. It's not like that in the family of God. You are an integral part because to be a member of the household means that you are a building block in the house. You are a living stone. Jesus is, depending on the different translations, and I think they all work, he's the, he's the foundation, he's the cornerstone, he's the capstone. We are anchored to him. We're having some building work done on our house at the moment, having some new bathrooms put in. And a, a, a curious discovery was made when the, the wall between our, our, we had a separate toilet and bathroom, we wanted to make it into one room. And the wall was built of brick, which was slightly unusual because it wasn't supporting anything. But the builder said, that's okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take it down. It's not supporting anything. He took it down. It's very strange. It's been built straight on the um, floorboards. I don't know why they would do that. Anyway, that's fine. And then he carried on. And then he realized that the, the wall that was between the bathroom and the corridor was now doing this. Because it was also made of brick, sitting on the floorboards. And um, now had nothing to anchor it into the rest of the house. So it was an easy solution. Take it down and put up a stub partition wall. But easy for him, not for me. Um, unfortunately, that all happened while I was away. Uh, down in Cardiff through the week. And, uh, and Ruth was, was left to deal with that. She's much better at that sort of thing than I am. So that was all good. But it showed me that, you know, when, when you become disconnected from the anchor point, you lose all stability when there's no foundation and even when there's nothing resting on top of you it puts you in a place of weakness but you know what you are members of the household you are stones living stones in the construction how about this one you were strangers to the covenants strangers to the covenants I love the 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 kind of the imagery that gives um I'm not necessarily one of these people that automatically think is a stranger a friend I haven't, is, a, is a friend I haven't met yet. Uh, not because I'm suspicious of people, but just because I'm not that good at kind of, you know, small talk and getting to know people and that sort of thing. But, you know, for those kind of very positive, you know, outgoing people have that attitude, don't they? A stranger is just a friend I haven't met yet. But a stranger is someone you know nothing about. And I love this image here, that you're strangers to the covenant, that God had made these many great and wonderful promises, and we had no idea about any of them. We had no idea. We had no idea all that he'd promised that he would do. We had no idea of the provision that he had made. We were strangers to the covenant, but now in verse 19 again, it says, what are you, fellow citizens? We are those who have inherited the covenants of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 10, says that however many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so through us, the amen is spoken to the glory of God. And when you came into Christ, you inherited every promise God had ever made Why? Because every promise he ever made finds its yes and amen in Jesus. And where are you? In Jesus. Some of you will remember, um, I I came across a couple of videos about this online recently. I know, it was probably about 15 years ago or so. There was, somebody wrote a little book on the prayer of Jabez. And there was was a, a lot of kind of legalistic Christians got a little bit upset because, well, that was just his promise to this one man and you're taking that out of context and you're applying it in ways and, 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 you know, why, why do people do that? But anyway, God's, prayer to, God's promise to Jabez was only to Jabez in Christ. And, and whatever promise God has made that is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10 tells me, is mine. How do I activate that? I say yes, and I say amen. When we say amen to the word of God, the promise is we are no longer strangers to the covenant, we become the heirs of the covenant. We become the heirs of the promises. And I just think there's, there's for some in the room today, maybe, you've, you've, maybe there's a promise of God that you have been longing to see fulfilled in your life and you've seen other people lay a hold of that same promise and it has been fulfilled to them and you're questioning and you're thinking, but, but why them and not me? And God wants you to know this. If you're in Christ, it's your promise. 
And it's time to say yes and amen again to the promise of God. Because he does not exclude you. He does not exclude any one of you. All of those who are in Christ Jesus are full inheritors of the promises of God. It's yours. And even now, I think there's, there's a stirring of faith by the Holy Spirit. Maybe before you leave this place, you need to stand and agree with someone in prayer and say yes and amen again to that promise that you're holding on to. You know, he wants to do it for you, but he wants to do it for his glory as well. He wants to do it for his glory. He wants to do it so that Jesus is seen in you, so Jesus is seen in this community, so the goodness and the glory of God is displayed to the world around us. Then it was this, this is the fourth negative statement of what you were at that time. You had no hope. No hope. Can you imagine having absolutely no hope? You had no hope. Because outside of Christ, any hope, any hope is a false hope. Psalmist says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. Any hope outside of Christ is a false hope. And sometimes you see people, don't you? Maybe, maybe you're facing this temptation yourself. That you're in, in, in the delay and in the wait and in the, and in the not yet seeing the fulfillment, you're thinking, well, I wonder if there's another way that I can go about this. I wonder if there's another way that I can get to where I believe God wants me to get. Abraham was faced with that dilemma. And he learned from that mistake. He learned from the mistake of Ishmael. Because when God appeared to him and spoke to him, it says this, Abraham considered his own body and that of his wife Sarah, and he hoped against hope. What does that mean? What does it mean to hope against hope? It means he looked at what was possible naturally. Well, what's still going for us? Well, I guess, you know, I'm, how was he by then? 99, I think, and Sarah was 90. So the time has passed, but hey, I'm still a man and she's still a woman. Now that's two ticks in the column. Naturally, there's not much hope. He tried, but against that hope, what has God said? What has God said? And you know, what God has said will come to pass. And we now are no longer those who have no hope. But in, in, in verse 18, it says this, we have been reconciled to the Father. We have been put in a position where everything is in perfect harmony between your Father and you. Do you remember the story that Jesus tells of a young man who goes and asks his father for his inheritance and then goes out into the world and wastes it and ends up with nothing and ultimately says, well, my father is a merciful man. If I come back, at least I will live. At least I'll survive. But so much more was his experience, so much more, because he was completely and utterly restored into perfect union with his father, who doesn't seem to have been at all affected by the fact that he'd given half of his inheritance away already, still seemed to be doing very well for himself, and was able to restore that son into a perfect place of harmony. You and I have been reconciled to the father. And you know, sometimes we have this attitude, I've messed up so much, I've been so rebellious, I've, made, I've been so foolish, I've done, I've wasted so much of my life. Maybe that's something that some of us feel. You get to a point in life where uh, I was talking to, talking to Pauline before, she was asking me, how's the church in Coventry? I said, it's going great. I said, I'm one of the oldest people in the church. Makes me feel old to go there on a Sunday morning. So I'm, I'm very pleased to look around the room and see so many people roughly my age here, that's... Uh, it's a great encouragement. 
We also do have a little bit, and it's not, it's not as bad as when you go to Covenant Life in Leicester, where uh, they all sit in a, in a semicircle like this, and there is a perfect age gradient that starts over. So we, we do have some youthful faces over this side, but if you, if you ever go there on a Sunday morning, it's worth going just to check out. Ron, Ron can maybe confirm whether this is still the case or not, but when I was last there, this seems to be that you kind of had all the young people here, and then you got around here, and you had like the young couples, and then you had the kind of like middle-aged couples, and then you, then you had the seasoned saints over this side. <laughs> but sometimes and, and this is kind of the sobering thing of years isn't it and I, I'm, I'm 48 now I will always be older than Chris Alton as he likes to continue to remind me um, <laughs> but you can you can look and you can think well you know have I really achieved Lord everything that, that you had for me in the years that I've had and I remember saying to my wife when I was 45, I said, I've, you know, I've realized really I'm probably in the second half of my life. She said, oh, don't say that. I said, really? You want to still be you know, married to me when I'm 90? And she went, oh, I see your point. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have been reconciled. I have been reconciled to the Father. There is a perfect harmony between the Father and me. And, and we can... We can sometimes put ourselves down and we can belittle ourselves and we can do this, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Well, in, in one sense, you're right, but in another sense, you're completely wrong because you may not be worthy, but you are completely qualified. You are exactly who God wants you to be. You have all that you need for life and godliness. We heard that yesterday at the conference here. And that gives us such great hope because my hope is not based on my past experience, it's not based on my past performance or my past behavior, but it's based on the completed work of Christ that is now being outworked through a people who are empowered by the Spirit in perfect union and harmony with their Heavenly Father. And here's the last one. We were without God. Without God. But now, verse 18, we have access to the Father access to the Father. I love um, the way that through the New Testament, um, whenever it kind of talks about worship or prayer or anything like this, it, it says things like, through him, and, and um, you know, or by the blood. And it's this, just these little phrases that you can almost miss out, but it's this wonderful reminder and acknowledgement that actually my access to the Father isn't, isn't based on, again, based on anything I can do or based on, on how he's feeling, or whether God's in a good mood or not, it's based on, the, the, by, by the way, God doesn't get in bad moods, just to say, but, but <laughs> it's based on what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done can't be undone. And, and I think it's great in our, in our worship that we, and in our prayer life that we, can, that we, that we use that same kind of language. And we just make that acknowledgement that the cross is, is central in our prayer life and in our worship. And, and to understand that we're supposed to come through. We're supposed to come through the broken body on the cross. Not just kind of stand at a distance. But we're drawn in and we're taken through. And we have access to the Father. Chapter 1 end, ended with this idea of the church, the body of Christ, being the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2 says this. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place by God, uh, uh, for God by the Spirit. There's a sequence going on here. We have access. We're being built. We're being joined together. We're growing. We're becoming the dwelling place for God by his spirit. And I was in India recently. We went uh, and we did a series of day conferences and we went to uh, one church where the last time I'd been there, they had the foundations laid for a church building and this time they got the walls and the, and the roof on. There were still no doors, no windows. And they also had, as you see, often in developing world countries and particularly in India, they had these prophetic uh, steel bars going up into the air off the top. 
Because it's basically, they're sticking up there saying, we're going to build higher. We're going to build higher. We can put another floor on here. Um, and and we, were, we were in there, and the, and the place was full. And, and I love those, those images and those places, and it was the same in Cuba as well, that people do not wait for the house to be finished before they fill it. And, you know, that's just like the Holy Spirit. He's not waiting for the finished article before he comes and fills the house. He's not saying, I'm just going to stay over here until you've got it all sorted. He says, no, as soon as I see, as soon as I see a couple of stones. What did Jesus say? When two or three of you gather together, I'm there. I'm in the midst. I'm going to come and fill it, even however small it is. However small that expression of the house is, I'm there. What does he say? We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And a time is coming when the glory of God is so manifest through the church that every eye and every person that comes in contact with it will not be able to question God is in this place. But before that day, he's still here. He's filling this house says this, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, the whole structure, every one of us being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is who we are. God is intending to fill South Leicestershire, where do you guys reach? North Warwickshire, Staffordshire, the world? <laughs> he wants to display his glory through his church. Every town and village that you live in, that's his intention. And when we realize, and this is my prayer, that this morning the Holy Spirit is opening again the eyes of our heart to see what you remember, what you once were at that time, but realize what you are now because of the wonderful work that Jesus has done. And that, when we believe that, when we, when, we, when we choose that, when we speak that to one another, when we remind one another, when we confess it over ourselves, we position ourselves to be the supernatural church, to embrace the destiny that God has for each and every one of us. Amen? Should we stand together? I'd just like to pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe at you, who you have caused us to be by the work of Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, we ask even now, Lord, we thank you that you are the spirit of revelation. Lord, thank you for your word, which is the fuel of revelation. Holy Spirit, even now, Lord, let the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ through your word shine into our individual lives and let us see ourselves more clearly in the light of who you are. Lord, let us see more clearly the calling that you have given us, the wonderful divine transaction that has happened, that we are no longer who we once were, but we are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, let us live. Let us live every day. Let us live every day individually. Let us live every day, especially as a community, as those who demonstrate and show forth the wonderful, wonderful work of Jesus. As living, breathing, walking demonstrations of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ for the glory of your name. Lord, I pray for this body. I pray for the other congregations of this church. Lord, that you would cause their light to shine brighter and brighter. Lord, that you would cause that light to shine in more and more places. Lord, that there would be a greater density of witness amongst the towns and villages already covered, already represented here. And Lord, that you would open doors into new places for the gospel, I pray, of Jesus Christ. Lord, just as the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray, Lord, that, that doors would be opened for the gospel. And the gospel proclaimed through these people here, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray even today, Lord, that there are young lives being stirred afresh 
Lord, I pray that those where, Holy Spirit, you've begun to touch and cause people to reevaluate choices about decisions they're making, about where they go next, what they give their time to. Let that not be a word that just kind of comes and then disappears and goes for a moment. But Lord, get a hold, I pray, in a fresh way of young lives here. Lord, I pray for those that are, that are older. Lord, I particularly pray for those that are just in, a, in, in retirement. Lord, let there be a stirring now. Lord, of fresh energy, of fresh zeal for your house. Lord God, Lord, let there be an anointing of youthfulness in the Spirit upon those that the world would call, call advanced in years. Lord, let there be, Lord, the zeal and the energy of youth and the vigor of youth to do the exploits of the kingdom. And Lord, those of every age here, Lord God, Lord, let not one of us just see our life as falling into a routine and a pattern. But Holy Spirit, we pray, shake us. Shake away those temporal things. Shake away those worldly things. Those things that may not be bad, but they're just not eternal. Let them fall away, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, just across this house and across this room right now, just come and breathe afresh upon us, Lord, that we might receive all that you are imparting right now to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.